0: She got some sun out in that corn patch. She got a good old corn patch tan. I'm not angry. I'm just surprised. <sighs> That's a frustrated sigh. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Murders of Drag. With me, Aura Van Denk. I'm your host. I've got the most, and I tell the stories. I've got no eyebrows. Um, questionable humor, and questionable personality in general. So this week, I watched a documentary called Two Spirits. It aired in 2011 on ABC. It was written by Laura Nibley and Russell Martin and directed by Laura Nibley. It's a very good documentary, very well produced, very informative, educational, about the idea of two-spirited individuals in Navajo culture, and it follows specifically the story of Fred Martinez or FC Martinez. Transgender identity has sparked hate in bigots for a long time, that's just kind of how bigots operate, but the history of transgendered people and the history of the idea that a person can embody another gender long predates the bigots. Navajo Native Americans have what's been translated to English, what's called... Navajo Native Americans have what's called two-spirited individuals. That's the English translation of a few terms in their language that describes an individual with either male or female features that operates under the opposite gender roles. They believe that that individual physically, spiritually, and literally embodies the spirit of a male and a female and is sort of androgynous in that way as they present male and female and they just are male and female. To put that into a little more context if it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to people who don't know much about navajo culture in traditional navajo teachings there are four genders male female then they have what's called nakle which is in their language a term for a person who was born a male or female and operated under the roles of a male and a female. Specifically, a matle person would be somebody who was male at birth, but with a matle person, their cultural belief is that they embody both a male and a female gender in their body. And then there's what's called a Dilba person. And I'm not sure that I'm getting the pronunciations right, but I'm trying my best. I looked it up, I researched some pronunciations, and I've tried from there, so forgive me. Dilba is a person born female who operated under the role of a male and took on the roles of a male later in life and operated as both male and female, but started off or was born female, or our binary definition of male and female to make it a little more relatable for your brain. F.C. Martinez was a Navajo teen and identified as Nadle and was murdered at the age of 16 brutally and horrendously. He presented as both male and female and identified accordingly. She sometimes went by the name Beyonce on account of being as fabulous as she was. Growing up, F.C. was very aware that they were different from other children but wasn't necessarily deterred by that fact. His mother wasn't the most traditional of the Navajo people on the reservation. Spiritually, that is, while she was raising Fred. The general vibe on the reservation, however, was way more open-minded, and I think that's probably because the culture, the Navajo culture, allows for open-mindedness and celebrates differences. That's what the Creator gave you. That's what whoever made you gave you. And you were different because of your Creator, so you should celebrate that. So a lot to take from this. Buckle down for a lesson. <laughs> FC was born in February of 1985, and at the time his father worked on the Pacific Railroad. At a very, very young age, FC wanted to be just like his dad and work on the Pacific Railroads and be a railroader. Fred's dad was a cowboy, literally. So being that cowboy type that he was, FC's dad kind of tried to raise FC along the lines of cowboy strong man type of situation. Never really worked out. In the documentary that I watched, Paula Mitchell, who is FC's mother, never explicitly mentions what happened between her her and FC's father, but her last name would indicate that they were no longer together, and from that point on, there was no more mention of FC's dad, so I don't think that the dad remained a part of her life for very long. Paula talked a lot about Fred's compassion. She said that he would go to school on a Monday, and if he could tell that one of the kids had a bad weekend, because that was pretty common for the kids in his class in the area, he would give them hugs. So imagine this cute ass kid coming up to you and being like, did you have a bad weekend? Are you having a bad day? Let me hug it better. There's nothing more in the world that I want than a hug from FC on a bad day. As he grew up, Fred started asking for some of Paula's things, being like, hey mom, can I have one of those purses? He was asking for makeup. He wanted to play around with makeup and start expressing himself that way. And just just trying it out, doing what he felt was natural, what was coming natural to him he was doing. And Paula, his mom, was on board. She, you know, she had her her moments of being like, yeah, Fred's definitely different, but I love him anyway. She always maintained that she loved her kid through thick and thin, no matter what, she was gonna support and love FC. One day, FC sat his whole family down, which was him, his mom, maybe his dad at the time, again, she wasn't super specific about when dad was no longer around, and FC's older brother. They had a family meeting, and FC told them how he was feeling, that he was, essentially in his own words both a man and a woman he didn't say exactly those words like i said in his own words but he came out to them essentially and his mother told him that in their culture there's something called nātle, and that's a person who has always been highly revered highly respected and thought to have been chosen by the holy people by the creator to be special to be the nurturer and that they are thought to embody the spirit of both a male and a female and after hearing that FC was like, oh, well, that's exactly what I am. That makes sense. And it really does make sense because FC was nurturing, kind, empathetic from the beginning. And to have this gender identity just kind of solidifies the idea that FC is not like. Because of their murder, F.C. is probably the most well-known Navajo not person in the history of the U.S., post-colonization, but is far from the only not person in our history. Weewa was an ambassador to Washington, D.C. in the 1800s. They were an ambassador for the Zuni Nation, and they were highly respected in their tribe, obviously, but also highly respected and revered in Washington, D.C. And Weewa was a two-spirited transgender person. They were very visible Not at all a shame. There was no shame in Weewa's culture of being who they were. They were very important in their culture. They were the ambassador to the country that was colonizing them. Con- colonizing. The country that was colonizing them. Pretty important stuff. And 1800s version American colonizers were okay with that and actually respected Weewa's identity and Weewa's existence. And we've just taken so many steps backwards. It's crazy. And the Navajo culture always celebrates what's different. For example, Richard LaFortune, who's a two spirited activist that was in the documentary I watched, told a story of a Navajo mother who came to a priest after her son had come out as gay. And the priest was like thinking in his head about different conversion therapies. And he was like, Oh no, this is a bad thing. This mother's feeling bad. She's looking for advice. But then the mom smiled and she was like, We need to plan a celebration feast immediately. And, you know, that's the whole story. It's just kind of to tell you that that's what makes you different. That's what makes you unique. That's one of the things that's going to be a huge part of your personality. Like, that's fantastic. Accept it, embrace it, and celebrate it. And we need more of that in our culture. Sometime after the separation from FC's father, Paula moved herself and FC out to Cortez, Colorado, which was a very small, very remote border town in the Four Corners region of the U.S., It's got rocky, desert-like terrain, I would say. Mountainy, deserty, if that makes any sense. That western side of the country that I have never been to, so I don't really know. And it's home to a Navajo reservation where Paula and FC settled down. She wasn't well off by any means. They were actually pretty impoverished, and FC and Paula lived in a trailer park where their trailers were really close together, sort of dilapidated, not super well kept up, which is unfortunately the story for a lot of the reservations in the country just because of how shitty they were treated and put together when they first were. It's just the American way. All that to say, Paula and FC didn't move into the most glamorous area, and the kids there struggled financially. And when FC would see a kid wearing shoes that were getting a little ratty or clothes that were getting worn, he would give them his clothes off his back, basically, and tell his mom, I can always find another. I've got plenty at home. So giving... Wasn't even part of his nature. It was just part of F.C.'s person. It giving was just what he did. His mom would always joke with him, saying, "Wow, somebody's rich," when he would give his stuff away. But she never, she was never angry with him. She was just baffled by how generous and selfless her her like twelve year old child was being. Imagine, despite being very generous with his neighbors and very loving to the people around her. FC was not happy in Cortez. It was just a small, barren town. The people outside of the reservation didn't like any of the Native Americans living there. They were very racist against the Navajo people in the area, and to be a minority in so many ways was not comfortable, and it wasn't allowing for FC to lead a happy life. So he wanted to get out and go to LA or New York or San Francisco or somewhere big like that, and in her own words, be someone. Do something big and important. And FC definitely did that, but he didn't have to move to do so. By his teenage years, FC was identifying as gay and two-spirited, and the downtown Cortez area became sort of a safe haven for him. Cortez was the area that was lit up on the edge of the reservation, so it was sort of like the closest city, the closest thing that had anything going on at all. FC would kind of escape there and go hang out where there was more people, where it had more of a city feeling, but at the end of the day it wasn't a city, and the people they there were absolutely staring. Although inside the confounds of the reservation, there was a freedom to be a traditionalist Navajo person and abide by the traditional Navajo values and religious beliefs. But outside of that reservation it was very different. There's a very stark separation and difference in Cortez in the bigoted white section essentially of the town and the Navajo indigenous people. When it came to public accommodations like school, parks, libraries, festivals, that sort of thing, that separation wasn't clear anymore and the bigots tended to bully and harass and attack. Once in high school FC was sent home for wearing these pink glittery flats to school, and when her mom got there to pick her up, she saw that F.C.'s shoes that she wasn't allowed to wear to school were being worn by another girl standing in the office, and when she asked the principal why F.C. couldn't wear the shoes but she could, there was this big kerfluffle in the office, and F.C.'s mom was definitely her number one advocate. She definitely stood up for her all the time. Bullying was coming towards F.C. from all angles. He was being bullied by people around town, just from stairs and harassment, people at school, same thing peers, administration at school wasn't even on his side. FC had nobody to go to but his own family and his closest friends. Sometime in early 2001, FC attempted to take his own life. He swallowed a bunch of Motrin pills, but before anything could really take effect and start to damage him, he called his friends, Marlene and Robin, and told them what had happened, and they took him to the hospital where FC got his stomach pumped. When his mom came to see him at the hospital, FC told her, I wanted to kill myself cause people hate me. And FC and her mom had this really close heart to heart conversation about how those people aren't her mom and those people shouldn't matter even though it hurts, they're just words. That kind of talk that most queer kids have had from their parents. FC ended up coming out of that rock bottom so much stronger than they were when they went in there. And that's very uncommon. A lot of the times right after rock bottom is when you're at your worst because you're close clawing your way back up, but FC started back up at the top, even though she had slipped and gone to that place, which is easy to get to when you're being bullied, and you have that just suffocating, helpless feeling that nobody's out there, that there's nothing out there, that this is all it's gonna be because of who you are. But FC knew deep down that's not how it was, and that there really was something else to live for, something even if he didn't know what it was then and there, or if he ever would know what it was, FC knew that there was something to live for. So he came out of that place saying, fuck that, no more. I'm not gonna let what they say get to me. I'm not letting it get me down to that place. I am the master of my own emotion, and I'm gonna be who I am. I'm gonna be Fred. I will be FC, and nothing more, nothing less. And that's really the main point that I want to drive home about FC. Fred was uniquely him. Sometimes that meant... Fred was uniquely Frederic, or Fred was uniquely Beyonce. But at the end of the day, Fred was just Fred, and he didn't want labels. He didn't want anything like that. He was just Fred. In June of 2001, FC told his mother that he was going to a carnival with friends. This was a yearly carnival that happened yearly, surprisingly, enough, It was the Cortez Regional Rodeo. Everybody's a cowboy. Everybody dresses up like a cowboy. It's like a small town, county Farnival kind of thing. Farnival? County Farnival kind of thing and he told his mom that he was going, said, I love you, I'll be back, and that's the last time she heard from him. As Fred's at the carnival having fun with friends, Sean Murphy gets into the car with a few of his buddies and decides they're heading down to the Cortez carnival to sell meth like some classy businesswomen that they are. By the time they reach the carnival from their town, they run into FC while she's walking home and pick her up to give her a ride. FC's mom told the documentary that He was very afraid of the dark, and this could be part of the reason why he accepted the ride in the first place. But based on later events, it's known that that ride was not very good. There was either an altercation or the situation made FC feel unsafe and begin to fear for his life. He was dropped off a little further down the road at a convenience store and kept walking home. Within the next few minutes, Sean goes back to the apartment that they came from, drops his friends off, and based on the timing, goes directly back out the door and back towards where he had dropped off FC. On this excursion, he runs into FC again, whether on purpose or by accident, we will probably never know, and... FC starts running away. That's how we know the original meeting was not positive, it was not good, it scared FC enough to know next time he saw Sean to run for his life. FC ran into a canyon-like area where he was running on a gravel road in between two sheer rocky cliffs. As Sean began to catch up with him, FC started to climb the rocky cliff on the side of the road, and when he got towards the top, he could actually see his house and the trailer park where he lived before Sean grabbed him and pulled him back down to the ground. Clearly, at this point, FC was trying with literally everything she had to get away from this killer, who had nothing but rage inside of them, and that's when Sean picked up a smaller-sized rock and bashed FC in the head, fracturing their skull and causing FC to start to bleed. While she was dying, FC was either dragged or crawled. Again, we don't know exacts because piece of shit, Sean has shared nothing. FC was dragged or crawled another 30 feet down a hill into a small area between two rocks that was hidden away from the road, but not at all far. Just a few yards away from the road and a few hundred feet away from where FC lived at this point. Sean picked up a 25-pound rock and repetitively bashed FC in the face, killing him and rendering him unrecognizable. The next day, his mother Paula didn't hear from FC, hadn't seen FC, and the phone that FC had that was always ringing wasn't ringing. So Paula called the police, they told her that they would contact her if they found anything, and she went into work. Things continued like this for the next five days. After those five days, kids playing in that area found the body and told their parents who didn't initially believe them because that sort of a crime in that area was just unbelievable. Later in the day, after trying to do some damage control with these now obviously traumatized children, the parents went out to the area and found the body of FC laying there outlined in blood from just how brutal the murder was. The investigation, Obviously, starts after those five days. Crime scene photos completely destroyed Miss Paula. I don't think anybody could ever be the same after seeing something like that and having to identify their own child after the child being put through something so brutal and hateful. Sean Murphy, the murderer and local meth head, had been out bragging, surprisingly, about quote, bug smashing a fag. Police caught on to that pretty quickly, but not much was done to apprehend him. And once again, matters fell into the hands of the queer community to protect and seek justice for their own people because nobody else will. And considering that FC was an impoverished and transgender person of color, this was not being prioritized by any means. But this time, the queer community pulled out the ace in their sleeve that we like to call Kathy Rena. Kathy is my personal favorite activist of. Almost of all time. Sorry, Kathy. There's a few OGs that you understand. Kathy Rina, a very powerful lesbian activist from New York. She's been present in some of the biggest hate crime cases in the country and always brings this sense of power and control to the situation. And genuinely, generally when Kathy gets involved, you're going to come home with a win, which is rare for queer people. So she comes into Cortez from New York to meet with the DA. And at one point in the meeting, Kathy says, the DA said, well, all crimes are hate crimes, right? And Kathy was having none of it. And she leaned in real close to the table and she said, with all due respect, District Attorney, if you ever say that publicly, we'll have you for breakfast. And Mr. District Attorney said, and that's why reason number 8,000 why Kathy is one of my favorite. Number one reason being that she's always there. She's always got boots on the ground. If she can, she'll be there. If you contact her, she'll be there. If, like a good neighbor, Kathy Rena is there, here she is. Boom. With the help of Kathy, the queer community and activists that were actively fighting for FC's justice made it clear that they were not going to give up until this case was vigorously investigated and the killer was vigorously prosecuted. After the trial, Sean ended up taking a plea deal for second-degree manslaughter to avoid the death sentence, which was very much a possibility based on the brutality and now media coverage of the case. He was sentenced to 40 years in prison and served only 17 of those years. He was released at the age of 36 in 2018 and allegedly resides in Greeley, Colorado. Kathy Rena said, A hate crime is a crime that's directed at an entire community. The victim may be an individual, but the anger, the hatred, the bias, and the prejudice It's directed at the entire group of people. It creates a climate of fear in that community. That's why it's so important for these crimes to be tried as hate crimes, because they're tragic, they're disgusting acts of ignorant violence, but they affect entire communities of already marginalized people and put fear into their hearts the same way a terrorist attack put fears into people's hearts. Hate crimes are an act of terror. At their funeral, FC's family had placed pictures of him presenting male and pictures of her presenting female on the casket, giving a final nod to their identity as a two-spirited Navajo person. FC had always been very proud of that and had always been very excited that the creator had chosen him to be a two-spirited person and to be a leader and to be a nurturer, and for them to honor that at the very end is very touching. Another really cool story about sort of the mourning process and after the death of FC is that in Navajo spiritual belief, once a person is deceased, you're not supposed to speak their name for four days to give them a chance to ascend properly. If you speak their name before the four days, they might not be able to ascend properly and end up trapped in the physical world. And like I said at the beginning, Miss Paula was not the most religious and spiritual person and didn't follow those guidelines and started noticing some strange activity in her house that sort of lined up to the things that FC would be doing had he still been alive at the time. She started to feel that she might've trapped FC in the physical world by speaking his name and breaking that Navajo tradition. So they did this really interesting ritual where they set up a teepee and religious leaders and elders, along with FC's family, his mom, his brother, got into this teepee and they smoked and prayed and slept until morning. And Miss Paula said the next day when she stepped out of the teepee, she made eye contact with an eagle who was sitting on a rock kind of staring at the teepee, staring at the group. And one of the spiritual leaders and elders said, that's a good sign, that's FC. He's he's good, he's free. And she got really emotional telling that story. And you could tell that that eagle, that, that symbol, kind of woke up her spirituality by giving her comfort about her deceased child. And I think that that is just so interesting and cool, and sad that a lot of that religion was lost because of the colonization that happened in this country, and because of the assimilation schools, and all of that has lost knowledge of two-spirited individuals, a broader spectrum of gender that's been around since before our modern society, and all of that is lost because colonization. F.C.'s case has been brought up in a lot of hate crime trials since then. Lots of trials where somebody was murdered or assaulted based on their gender identity or sexual identity. And it's used as a sort of what-not-to-do precedent. So out of this tragedy, there's been able to be some justice, you know, years down the road, but F.C.'s death was certainly not in vain. No death is ever really in vain. But this is one of those terrible, awful hate crimes that helped to start a movement in the right direction, making FC another unwilling martyr for our community. Even though FC had a horrendously brutal end to their very short existence, they were so important to queer culture and the forward movement of legislation protecting us against hate crimes that they will never be forgotten under any circumstances. And I want to do my part to keep that memory alive and in our minds where it should be. And with that it's time for lashes, wig, other general transformation items. And this is the finished look for this week. I hope you guys listened and learned something about FC and their life and what it means to be a two-spirited individual in a Navajo tribe. So it's officially spooky month. Merry spooky month. It's October. Get your spook on. Get your spook on. Get your spook on. You know, that kind of situation. And I'm thriving. It's my time of year. I frolicked through the corn patch. I saw the pumpkins. I did spooky diva domination. Like. It was all there, it all happened. You might have missed it, Um, but it was on Facebook. Corn Pouch Divas. We made it through that corn patch in 59 minutes. It It was nothing for a couple of divas. And being Spooky Month, I wanted to put a theme on not all of, but half of my episodes this month. So every other week for the month of October, I will be doing a case based on a crime or murder that happened in the Club Kid scene. Next week's episode, Club Kid themed. I will have special guest Anya Mann here as my expert witness who has actually been stalked by the killer that I will be discussing next week. Crazy crazy shit, I can't wait to show you guys. Halloween is planned up, I'm ready. I have a gig, giggery in Greenville, South Carolina at Modal. It's a um, hostel hotel situation that they just built. Very fresh, very fancy. We're doing Halloween weekend from the 30th to November 1st. There'll be performances, stuff to do every one of those days. Bring your mask, boots and your coat for this WAP and this Halloween party, okay? Because it's going to be great. I hope you guys genuinely learned something about two-spirited individuals, and FC Martinez, and I hope that puts into perspective some gender history and cultural history of the country that was colonized and taken over and all of its history and culture destroyed. We all know it, we all know it. I spit facts and facts only. I'll see you guys next week.